Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Coger Center Arts Roundup. Welcome back to the Coger Center Arts Roundup podcast. Our special guest this week, I'm excited to announce, is Kimberly Case, who is the winner of the Coger Center's 1593 project, A Call for Art. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. Thank you for having me. So if you haven't, listeners had a chance to look at the website, uh, you can go to CogerCenterForTheArts.com and see not only Kimberly's art uh, talked about on the website and links to look at it, so you can see firsthand what the winning artwork looks like, but there are a couple of other artists who received uh, honorable mentions and runners-up status, so they'll be a lot of very interesting artwork to look at, and you can see all of the people who uh, applied for the uh, contest uh, through our Instagram page as well. So all the different artists are there. We had almost 60 people apply, and we're very excited that uh, Kimberly is the winner. And one of the things I'm most impressed about, Kimberly, is that you did a whole series of art. Uh, this started, uh, tell us, how did you start this project, um, The uh, in the time of COVID project. This was months in the making because I think most of us didn't realize the pandemic was gonna drag on so long. So we thought, oh, we'll do a couple of things to pass the time. And then suddenly here we are still in the middle of it. That is exactly how it came to pass. Um, I uh, have a photography studio and um, often will indulge in self-portraiture, you know, to create um, creative images. Um, so when it was clear that things were going to start shutting down and that this was a serious thing, this pandemic was going to be a serious thing to be reckoned with, I thought to myself, well, I'm going to continue to do uh, my art. Um, often I'll work with models or outside people, but, you know, I can do self-portraits, which just involves me in a room. So that was definitely a, a pandemic-safe activity. So I started taking pictures um, about things that I saw happening, things I was feeling. Um, things that were going on at the time. The first picture I took, I actually took it March 25th. That was the art in quarantine picture. Um, it's kind of me and a little glass, um, almost like a snow globe with a tempest uh, all around it. So that was what it meant to me to be quarantined, but still trying to do art at the time. That was March 25th. I had no idea it was gonna drag on, you know, continue for so many months. And I had seen the announcement of the call for art. And I thought, wow, this is something I need to get involved in. I, this is for me. I was so inspired by the call for art and the project. So I was just so happy to see it and be able to create towards that goal because I needed something. I needed something to work on. When did you start pursuing photography? So how did you get into the photography? This is uh, started as a side gig for you, something that, to do for fun, uh, for, for artistic reasons, or did you start doing uh, photography, you know, more of a sort of portrait uh, as a side job? I began probably um, three or four years ago working with a photography studio. Um, I've always loved costuming, uh, period, wardrobe, um, wardrobe of the countries and fantastical creations um, as, as far as wardrobe goes. Um, so I uh, would provide that for, for the photographers at the studio that I was uh, working with. Um, I would help create their vision. I would create items for their vision and I would do a little modeling for them when they needed a guinea pig and that kind of thing. Um, 
so it was just natural that I would get involved in, in art, art like that. Um, one day they had a big family session. It was in the traditional style. Um, and I was just assisting because there were a lot of moving pieces. And one of the photographers handed me a camera. My mentor handed me a camera and said, why don't you take some pictures since you're not doing anything? <laughs> and I took some pictures and I was just hooked from then on. I love photography. I've, it's a way to express myself um, artistically. It, it pleases people. People like to have their picture taken. It makes them feel good about themselves. And that's, it's just very positive for me. So you basically got some on-the-job training from the photographers that you were working with. Did you, have you taken formal classes or uh, you know, done these sort of self-study, uh, reading books about photography, or is it more about trial and error and, and getting some feedback from the photographers you work with? Yeah, I never had any formal training in photography. Um, and even as a child, I was into the arts. I always took art classes. Um, my high school um, diploma had a degree, like a major in fine arts at Irmel High School. I actually tried to take photography classes in high school, but they said it was really more for boys. Um, so I didn't take photography classes ever. <laughs> but I've done a lot of on-the-job training. Uh, my two mentors, uh, William and Randy, have really brought me along and taught me so many things. And then I kind of took it my direction. A lot of self-study, um, just trial and error. The studio you uh, assist with is that Studio 3P? Yes, Studio 3P. It's in Irma. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about that? What, what's the style of photography? Uh, how did you find them? How did you start working there? <laughs> well, I started working there because they had um, kind of like a model call and uh, they were going to, they needed models for this certain, um, it was kind of an Arabian Nights look, you know, fantastical with flowing veils and, you know, that kind of, that kind of aura. So I had brought a lot of things over, I ended up modeling, um, and I just loved all the moving parts. There were so many avenues for creativity, for, uh, set design, costume design, makeup, hair, um, and then the photography itself, and then what you do with it afterwards and post-processing. I was just entranced by all the moving pieces, you know, that you could line up different ways to have different end products. Do they do, uh, just to sort of more fully grasp what the studio does, it sounds like they do some large scale projects. Are these sort of for magazines or that kind of thing? Or are these uh, people who come in and, and want to do, you know, family portraits or something for a Christmas card or something special for a loved one? Uh, is it more of a um, studio where the, people looking for the photos are driving the concepts and the ideas or is it you know more for a uh, more commercial uh, output in in the early days uh it was more um kind of like a workshop for photographers that was what the studio was it could be rented photographers would come in with a concept they might bring their own clients in to achieve the client's concept um these days it is more of a um a high like a higher end low volume fine art portraiture uh, place so people who desire um something more from their pictures they want wall art they want something beautiful something timeless something that you might not be able to get other places that's who we serve so after that fateful day where you got a camera stuck in your hands and you, and you started taking photos um and you sort of when did that transition from you know what tell us more about the transition from the uh, set dressing and the makeup and the costuming and, and being that assistant that helps uh, create the look 
that the photographer captures into you uh, actually being one of the people who takes the photographs. Can you tell us a little more about that storyline, that arc to get you from that day to where you are today doing a, a lot of your own photos? Yes, I. Uh, it's an interesting story. Um, so the founding photographer, Randy, um, he became uh, very ill with cancer. And um, at first I was filling in, you know, he would have a job, somebody needing a headshot, just something simple at that point. And I would go and fulfill that, um, you know, that duty, that obligation and get the person the headshot. Um, and then I started, you know, doing more pictures just for fun. Um, and I started doing more and more. And when did you move from doing that kind of work into your own setups and your own work that was just for you? <laughs> well, I would, uh, I would take pictures and I would show them to him and he'd say, well, they're very good, but how about this? So he was classically trained um, in, the, in the traditional portraiture. And he would say, what about this? Or, you know, you've lost the detail here. You've got a lot of shadow here. And I would say to him, but that's what I was trying to do. And then at one point he said, yeah, I get it. You've got your own style. You need to take it and run with it. So um, that, I don't know, maybe about two years ago is when I really started to develop my own style. A lot of shooting, a lot of editing, trial and error, um, and then coming up with different concepts that I wanted to you know, bring to life. So when I look at your uh, photos of, that you submitted for the contest, um, I, I wonder to myself, because my experience with taking photos is that if I take enough of them, one of them will be good. Uh, <laughs> how, how many photos, so you, when you do a setup, how many photos do you usually end up taking for one particular setup? So if you have something in mind, um, is it a few photos or do you take a, a lot in order to get the, the one that's just perfect in your mind? <laughs> Well, speaking of this project, um, so uh, it, it's kind of two things. Part of it was it was still life art, which you know is not very hard because nobody's moving. Um, so not too many pictures because I feel like once I get a good composition and the lighting is where I want it, then I get the picture I want and then I'm done. So, but with self portraiture, which is what the bulk of the the series is, is self self portraits. Um, it can be complicated. Um, I use a remote trigger. A lot of times I'm triggering with it with my foot um, or triggering it, the camera with the remote and then hiding it and then getting back into position. Um, so there's a lot of trial and error in those pictures. So for those, um, probably shoot about 10 and get one that I'm really pleased with or shoot about 10 and get three or four that I'm really pleased with depending upon the complexity of the position of the position or the concept. Um, there's one where I'm an angel and I wanted to appear to be kind of floating in air. So there's a lot of jumping around. And so I probably took 20 before I got one I liked of that, um, of that image. So with a remote trigger, is it wireless? Yeah, it's wireless. Um, I actually dropped it and broke it midway through the pandemic and I had to get another one. So I was kind of panicked because nothing was getting delivered on time or any in, within any reasonable time period. So I was really excited when I ordered a trigger and it came really soon so I could get back to work. <laughs> uh, the costuming, the, the makeup, the props, all of that is obviously a, a huge part of the design process uh, for the art. Um, 
do you make your own costume? Do you, you it seems like you got into this because you, you said you enjoyed um, the sort of spectacle of helping people get prepared for, for a photo shoot. Um, it, do you have your own sort of prop and costume storage closets? Um, <laughs> do, do you, I mean, it's almost as if you're a uh, costume designer who decided to get into photography on the side from the way some of this looks. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about the, the prop, prop and costume backgrounds of yours and, and what it takes to sort of prepare um, that aspect of it before you even get in front of the camera? A few years ago, you might have heard a large groan coming from the Irmo area, and that groan was the noise that was made when I took all this wardrobe and costuming and props out of my attic at my home and moved it into a storage um, building near the studio. So we have two um, units in a kind of like a strip mall in Irmo, and one of the units is just wardrobe and, and prop, props, costumes, newspapers, soda cans, eggs, um, swords, shields, bathing suits, furs. I mean, just anything you could possibly think of. I've been collecting it pretty much all my life and I'm so excited to be able to use it um, to make these images and have fun. So did you begin the collection with the uh, performance aspect in mind or did you begin the collection because you found things that you thought were uh, wonderful that you couldn't bear to let go? Um, so you know, did, I feel like a lot of prop people are constantly going around saying, I don't know what I'll do with this, but this is really cool. We should, you know, I'm sure it'll end up in a show. Did you know that your sort of collection was going to be featured on the camera when you started collecting or did the camera work, the photography sort of uh, happen because you were this collector and you had a, you know, a trove of very interesting things to put in front of the camera? Well, I've been collecting this junk, I mean, these valuable items all my life, um, literally. Uh, and some of the things you may see in the pictures I've had for 20 years, maybe, in the attic. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, I don't know, I have this repository of like this catalog of what I've got in my head. And um, I just go to the room and pull it out and set it up and, and let it run. Where do you find things? Do you, do you specifically go out? antiquing to flea markets or is this um you know memorabilia from loved ones and friends or it's a little bit of both um i go to the local uh goodwill and you know i've got some people there who work and they say i put that on the shelf and i knew you were going to come get it kind of thing they <laughs> and people will say hey i found this on the side of the road and i thought you could use it you know so my friends give me stuff and um it's just the funniest thing. I never turn anything down. And um, people just bless me with great, weird odds and ends. <laughs> when you're, I realized that this pandemic uh, theme was a particular theme, and, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about that in a quick second. But um, in, in talking about your art leading up to this, um, do you get an idea in your mind and then go looking for props and costumes or do you let the storage closet sort of speak to you and you see things and you think, oh, this, this, this is screaming to be photographed and you pull, pull two things together, put it in front of the camera? Or is it a little bit of both? It, it, is, it, is, it is both, uh, just as you said. Uh, sometimes it's hard for me to go into the, the room, the prop room, because I can't come out without an armload of other stuff I want to shoot next. <laughs> 
So sometimes when I go in, I have to be super focused about what I'm going to get in there. I'll even make a list of what I need to come out with so that I don't come out with four other projects at the same time. Um, and yeah, my eBay searches, um, my eBay purchases have been very strange for the last couple of years. Um, like I, I needed vintage boxing gloves. I had to have vintage boxing gloves and then I found some and, and I got them and they have just the right look. They're ancient and about to fall apart, but they're perfect. Can you talk a, a little bit more about your current project and uh, maybe discuss some of the differences in the work that you've done during the pandemic versus what you were doing leading up to, uh, you know, quarantine? Mm -hmm. Yes, leading, leading up to quarantine, I was, um, you know, working with my clients, um, the special people, and they would come in, we'd consult, we'd make a concept, we'd do a session, you know, I would show them afterwards the art, you know, and then we would make a sale. Um, so when everything kind of got closed down and people became very reluctant, you know, obviously to come out and do any of these things, um, I just started working more with myself, um, more things I had on hand. And I was really, it was very overwhelming. Um, I know a lot of my friends are touchy, huggy people. And they said, um, said to me, I can't stand not touching and hugging. Well, me, I'm more of a like a, a control, you know, planning person. And what I've had a hard time with was that I have no control and can make no plan whatsoever because you have no idea what's next. So this, at least I had this, this project, like I'm going to do this concept. I've seen this in the news. I've, I'm feeling this feeling. So I'm going to take it into the studio and control it there. Can you pick a couple of the pieces uh, that are in your series? and talk through the imagery in them. Um, from reading about the artwork, uh, there's a lot of detail that you describe um, that really makes a lot of sense. But sometimes I wonder, you know, looking at it at a glance, you may miss some of that. So I, I really like um, that level of detail. And I wonder if you could sort of talk us through the process of um, how you created, say, a particular photo, um, not just from the, the details that are in it, but from the sort of initial conception, thinking through, you know, all the little things and then sort of how you ended up pulling it off. Um, I don't know, it would be really great to pick a couple and then we can feature them um, with, with the podcast so that people can look at them and, and see what you're talking about. But uh, I really enjoyed reading about the specific pieces. Um, and, and I think that the listeners would love to hear your take on, uh, you know, really the thoughts behind a specific photo. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think one of my favorite ones, I think one that really turned out well, um, as far as imagery and then concept was um, the one I call Let Them Wear Masks. So in this image, uh, I'm a kind of a portrayed as a Marie Antoinette figure, you know, and we all know that she said, um, when she was told the peasants had no bread to eat and they were starving, she said, well, just let them have cake then. So I'm Marie Antoinette, I'm there, I'm uh, dressed perhaps as for a party, I've got my powdered wig on, I've got my makeup done, um, and I'm holding a little mask um, as for a masquerade party. So a totally different kind of mask than what people are having to wear when they go out in public. And I'm all, it's a tiger mask. And I'm like, I had just set down a, um, a magazine with um, a vintage magazine with like a tiger on the front. 
So to me, that was kind of harkening to the fact that at that point, so many people were watching the Tiger King and just binging on it. And it seemed like the whole nation was talking about the Tiger King show. So I was kind of drawing that moment in time into that image. And the image also kind of is saying, um, really, there's been two different pandemics. I mean, two different um, quarantine experiences. Some people, you know, when they had to quarantine, they had a very nice home, a luxurious place to go to, and their job was easily done remotely. But then other people, they might not have had the nicest place to have to quarantine with. Maybe it was a small home. Maybe there were many people there. Um, maybe conditions weren't the best. And they didn't have resources to live on that they needed to work. And they needed the mask to go in public and make their wages, you know, make their living. Whereas other people didn't view the mask or the quarantine the same way, if that makes sense. Yes, and I like that the title uh, of the Life magazine is uh, The Tiger's Kill. And <laughs> it's just sort of interesting in my mind. It, I feel like if you um, are oblivious and you choose the tiger mask is the mask that you wear out that you know you might get sick and as a result of your poor mask choice die from this you know as part of this pandemic because you feel mm -hmm. sort of fail to understand the reality that we're living in mm -hmm. exactly yeah maybe that's just maybe that's just me reading more into it but um i i i, I think that's an excellent one to point out because just the level of detail i thought was really clever thank you i had a lot of fun with that one um can you pick like maybe one of your still lives uh, because i think that uh, it, it's really nice that there's the self-portraiture, but then the still lives, while in the same um, style, and I think it's sort of very obvious that it's your work both ways, um, seems like a different uh, kind of art. Um, so can you maybe pick a still life and talk about, um, you know, that particular piece and, and your thought processes going into it? Well, yeah, um, so there are several still life pictures um, that I did. Um, there are two that kind of go together. Um, there's one called Seven Millimeters, and it's um, uh, like an old baseball just on a wooden table, and it's um, very dramatically lit. Um, that baseball was a baseball that my dad had thrown to me in the driveway. Um, I went to see him because he had been diagnosed with cancer. And he, I said, well, seven millimeters, that's not that big. It's not a big tumor. And he kind of tossed me the baseball and said, that's seven millimeters. So I took the baseball home and took it to the studio and did that picture. And so it has a lot of meaning for me. Um, the one, the picture that damaged the still life that goes with that in my mind is um, called Hotel Breakfast. And so it's a similarly composed picture. Um, it's a bunch of fruit kind of piled up on the other end of a table. Um, and it's, so we had gone down to Charleston for his surgery to have the tumor removed. And that was all they had uh, for us for breakfast at this really posh hotel because there was no room service, no restaurant. Um, and that was kind of like all they had to eat at the point. But we were happy to have it because it was at least food. Yes. And... Um... With the still lives, I mean, I think you're right. The the lighting is uh, really sort of makes the imagery. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, lighting? Because you you talk about the, your background in collecting props and costumes and and the importance of generating that image. 
um, and you've mentioned lighting multiple times uh, in, in the conversation, but the lighting is really an essential part of getting these photos to look the way they are. Can you talk about your background with that? And, and, and As part of this project, I wanted to explore different lighting um, concepts, different lighting setups um, to create different images, different moods for my images. At the studio, we've got a full complement of lighting. Um, in some of the pictures I used, I wanted a very dramatic um, lighting. Uh, so I used something that was almost like a spotlight to create real drama, um, bright highlights and super deep shadows, that kind of thing um, for drama. On some of my images, um, like the pinup image, I just wanted nice even lighting. So I used uh, what we call flat lighting, where there are very few shadows um, and everything's illuminated. You don't lose detail. Um, you don't blow anything out and it's just a nice pleasing picture, um, which would be characteristic of, of pinup. Um, the dramatic lighting I used for some of the still lifes and um, uh, the final image, one of the final images I did was of me kind of as a boxer, you know, waiting for the next round to begin. And I wanted super, super drama for that. So you'll see really dramatic lighting. And then I enhanced that even in uh, post work in Photoshop. That's a great segue into what my next question, which was going to be how much of what we see is the original photo and how much you know, uh, after the fact uh, enhancement do you do digitally in something like Photoshop? Uh, I think every single one of these pictures I did uh, start in Lightroom and then uh, tweak it. And then I did take each one into Photoshop, um, enhance it, tweak it more, and then back into Lightroom. That's kind of my workflow. Um, and it varies, as you could imagine. Um, so there's uh, a few, um, like the pinup one I referenced. Um, there's some body work on some of those. I'm not as perfect as I appear in the pictures, um, which I would do, you know, for any client. Um, and then in the dramatic pictures, I'll use a lot of um, overlays of textures. Um, I'll even add components sometimes um, that there aren't there in the image. Um, if I couldn't get them in the shot for some reason. Um, I can add things. Um, the the boxer image is one of the ones I've worked on most recently. I know I put um, some texturing in behind. Uh, I, I work a lot with my hand painted backdrops. I paint my own canvas backdrops to use in the background. You'll see those in many of the pictures. It's kind of like a trademark or signature of mine. Um, but even um, I'll add even more texture to those sometimes if I want to have a real grungy feeling uh, like I had for the boxer. Do you mostly show your work uh, digitally or um, do you print and, and, and if you do print uh, work, sort of what size do you, do you have a size in mind when you shoot the image, you know, of how big it would turn out as a print or is that sort of decided based on resources and, and where it needs to be hung? Well, a little of both as you can imagine. Um, some of these, some of these images, um, for this series specifically, and, and sometimes when I'm just playing around, I'm in the studio, I think, I'm just going to make this and I'm going to post this on social media. Um, so I want to have, you know, a certain aspect ratio because it's going to portray well when I do put it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Um, so I'm not, so I, so I keep that aspect ratio in mind when I'm editing. Um, you know, but I, sometimes like the boxer picture, I felt like I had really captured something special there and I knew I wanted it big. 
As a matter of fact, I just got, um, the, I, I had it printed on a beautiful, uh, brilliant cotton rag paper um, at one of our professional labs. And I think it's like 23 by 30 or something. It's, it's pretty big. Um, so like for a client or for something I know I'm going to print, um, I'm going to come out with a giant um, resolution uh, so it could be printed very large if, um, if, if that's what we need to do. Is there anything else you'd like to share about your artwork in general or specifically about the series that you've shot started, that started with the uh, pandemic and the quarantine? Well, for one thing, I'm not sure I'm done with the series because things continue, although there's a lot of normalcy now. Um, I feel more normal about things. I go to the store and I see food on the shelves and I get it and I bring it home. Um, you know, so a lot of things are more normal, but every so often I'll be struck by something that's just abnormal or just incongruous and it'll kind of set me back. And so I, I may continue to work on this series even, you know, as things progress. Um, it's really been what 2020 is all about. It's, it's going to define this year and, and hopefully, hopefully only this year. As, as far as my, my work, um, I feel like I've grown a lot. I really appreciate, again, the challenge that y'all put out for us. Um, I loved the fact that you, you know, spoke about Shakespeare and, and how prolific and, and what good work he did when he was set on his heels, you know, and um, I just hope a lot of artists took the same um, opportunity to invest in themselves and invest in their art. Well, thank you so much for not only applying um, to this project, but for turning out such a, an amazing quantity of work during this quarantine and pandemic. Um, we're, we're so excited that we got the opportunity to talk to you. Uh, more about the artwork. Um, you can find information about Kimberly Case and her artwork uh, on the Coger Center website, CogerCenterForTheArts.com. Uh, Kimberly, do you have a site that you'd like for people to be able to find your work on? So if they want to see more of your work or, you know, not just this pandemic work, but your work in general, uh, people can find you? Probably the easiest way to find me would be to go to my studio website, which is um, studio-3p.com. And from there, you can uh, see my galleries. You can also connect with me on Facebook and on Instagram as well, uh, very easily from that um, website. Fantastic. Well, I encourage uh, all of our listeners to have a look not only at the uh, series in the time of COVID, but in all of Kimberly's work. It's really spectacular artwork. Uh, the costumes and props are something that uh, I, I can't help but smile at. The, some of the stuff, you just wonder where you must have found it. And so knowing that you have, you've been collecting for such a long time answers a lot of my questions about, I wonder where that came from, because it might have been something you picked up months or years ago and then uh, pieced together for a particular photo. But it's, it's really lovely and fascinating stuff. And uh, I encourage you to not only uh, look at the artwork, but really look at the uh, meaning behind it. Uh, I, thank you for so much for talking about the sort of Marie Antoinette piece. I, it's one of my favorite. I think it has a really a lot of depth and background into it. So it was really interesting to hear your thoughts about it. Um, uh, again, uh, congratulations on winning this uh, call for art. And uh, anything else you'd like to say before we sign off? Just thank you so much. I'm just overwhelmed. Well, we're, we're so pleased to have met you through this process and we look forward to getting to know you better uh, in the future. Thank you.
Coker Center Arts Roundup is produced in part by Garnet Media Group, the student media partnership at the University of South Carolina. Information about tickets and upcoming events can be found at CogerCenterForTheArts.com, the official website for Coger Center tickets. For more information about Garnet Media Group, visit GarnetMedia.org.